listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 400. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the season two premiere of the classic military sci-fi series, Stargate SG-1. And, dude, another milestone. And, and you know, like Fred mentions in his feedback, and we've mentioned before, there are actually more than 400 episodes on the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch uh, vault, but... Uh, the 400 is is really the main podcast the other stuff is just kind of you know i mean stuff we did but right you know so but in the the um, uh, official cataloging system this is number 400 yeah, yeah and you know it's very few podcasts get to this point i, I was trying to uh, search out uh, you know how to handle that idea that all 400 episodes aren't necessarily available in the apple podcast feed even though you can go to our website and 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 everything's available there but there are so so few podcasts that have more than a hundred let alone 400 so uh, i got a couple people i'm going to reach out to see what they can tell me and if it's not too labor intensive maybe we'll uh, make a change but uh fred thank you for your uh you know, congratulations. You know, you'll hear Fred and his feedback a little later on, but but certainly, Fred, we appreciate the support, both uh, you know, as a Patreon supporter and as a loyal feedback provider, and, and certainly all our patrons, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, and Mike. We appreciate you, and and you know, without you guys and and everybody, we wouldn't have made it nearly to four hundred because um, you know, having people out there appreciate what we do makes it worthwhile yeah i mean yeah i mean i, I have no idea how many people are listening but you know at least fred is out there. <laughs> but yeah, no uh yeah we super appreciate everyone who's who uh who listens to us and uh <clears throat> you know supports us in that way and it's you know you look back on it you think i i, I guess getting the 400 is one thing but i think what freaked me out more was last week i mentioned star trek in the darkness and you said we did that eight years ago, like yeah, that freaked me out. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so things like that. I guess when I think back on that, I didn't think we talked about very long ago. It turns out it, it was quite a while ago. So. Yeah, July 2012 is when we started, and I keep thinking, and and I think we've mentioned it to each other here and there over the years that maybe doing an episode where we just kind of talk about the origins of the podcast and. You know, I think that would be yeah. fun for us and, and, you know, maybe interesting and somewhat informative to the listener. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. If you want to contact us with some questions, feedback, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. If you want to record your own audio clip the way Fred does, just send it as an attachment. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. All right, my what I'm watching this week. My wife and I have added Croatia to our list of international okay. crime dramas that we've watched. We're, we're watching one on HBO Max called Success. Really good. Four seemingly random people are brought together by this catastrophic, catastrophic event that changes their lives. And I don't want to give away too much because even that's a, a big spoiler. You've got a husband and father who's about to have his apartment foreclosed on. This high-profile architect, a wife-slash-mother who's unhappy in her marriage, and this 17, 18-year-old girl who favors short skirts and high heels. (laughs) And it's just really, really good. We've got two episodes to go. I think it's only six episodes. So it's called Success HBO Max. The other two that I just checked out last night, and I'll report back later because I only saw one episode of each, they're both Netflix series. One is called The One, and I believe it just dropped on Netflix in the last couple of days. Oh, I just read about that the other day, yeah. Yeah, we're in the future, and they it's basically a matching algorithm to match you with the love of your life. And right. I'll just leave it at there. Again, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, I, well, I had my doubts, I, I but saw it was really that, good. And it... it Sounds a lot like one of my favorite uh, Black Mirror episodes, which is Hang the DJ, which was just that. Um, but but yes, yeah, so I'm definitely interested. That sounds very uh, compelling. 
Yeah, the first one was good. The second show that I checked out the first episode is called Ad Vitam. And that is a French show. It's, it's on Netflix, as I mentioned. And we are in a future where regeneration has become part of daily lives. So people essentially live, again, I don't want to say forever, but it opens, they're celebrating uh, the oldest human i think it's this japanese woman i think it said she's 169 or 193 or something like that and again it term turns into kind of a crime drama but it's again kind of compelling so i'm gonna keep checking out those two and and report back okay so what are you watching um so nothing really new super new um you know again another shout out to letter kenny i'm still working at that i think i I'm on the last season, now. well, not the last, but the most recent season now. Uh, so I'll talk more about it when I'm, I'm finished. Uh, what I did watch is a movie on <clears throat> HBO Max. You probably have seen at least trailer for it. It was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And it's not a genre movie at all. Uh, it's about a, a guy who is turned into an FBI kind of spy to go in and spy on the, the Black Panthers in Chicago. It was just, it was a, a really good movie. Insofar as you have this guy who, he's the first character we're introduced to, so we feel a kind of, you know, affinity for him. Uh, but also, he's a, he's a rat, you know. Um, so he's kind of the good guy, a lot very much the bad guy and then the uh i uh, i can't remember it was uh daniel i can't uh, his last name is is pretty complex <laughs> i can't remember but he's been in tons of things he was in uh get out he was the rhino guy in uh black panther uh awesome actor he plays the uh the, the leader of the black panther party who is the messiah part and then of course the 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 other guy is the uh the judas part Really, really good movie. Liked it a lot. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I saw it was nominated for Academy Award and probably one or more of the actors as well. So yeah, okay. I, I did see it on on there, but you it's, know, me and movies. Yeah, might right. be a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I can't get you to watch Deadpool, I don't know how I can get you to watch this one. So, hey, I do like the Ryan Reynolds uh, Mint Mobile commercials, though. Oh no, I haven't seen it. Oh, he he apparently owns a financial stake in a uh, mobile phone company. Okay. And, um, but you know what I did see? I don't know if you've seen it yet. The South Park vaccination special. I have it. I, I, when I, I saw something. You might have seen the pandemic special. That was, that was a, you know, a while back. Okay. I haven't but, seen it yet, no. Oh. Uh, you know, it makes some commentaries on our education system as well as our uh, social system. It's <laughs> pretty darn funny, but anyway. All right, you ready to get some Stargate SG-1 yeah, under our belts let's do this. and finish this our, bad our boy? last episode of Stargate. Yeah, so episode one of season two, The Serpent's Lair, written by Brad Wright, directed by Jonathan Glasner, who interestingly has written four episodes and directed two. We don't see that often aired June 26, 1998. And, you know, it basically boils down to two storylines, the, the one with SG-1 on Clarell's ship, and then, of course, uh, what's going on at Stargate Command. So let's kind of start with Stargate Command. And, and Fred mentions uh, Senator Kinsey and his feedback a little bit, but one of the first things that comes to mind has Colonel Samuels sealed his fate within the military. I mean, does he have a career anymore or, or will Hammond just like be glad to be rid of him? Well, I mean, he's obviously still has a powerful friend in, in Senator Kinsey, right? Yeah, true. Um, nothing, even though, you know, like though he was obviously sent there because if he fails, then Kinsey can say, I don't know what this Samuel guy was doing, you know. I, don't, I didn't tell him to do any of that stuff. Uh, so I, I I don't go so far as to say I feel sorry for him, but uh, it seems pretty clear that he was set up there so that if the uh, plan didn't work out, Kinsey could have you know, deniability there. Yeah, I mean, he's been assigned as a liaison and, and tries to blame the gate 
for the Gaul attacking when we know they'd come anyway, gate or no gate. And, and, you know, you mentioned Kinsey still calling the shots, ordered a stand down. I mean, I, I, it almost seems like Samuels is trying to blame the president for the stand down. Let's, let's let them think we don't know they're out there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's going to work. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I don't. I don't get how Samuels is given this much authority to be able to, you know, to give authority over Hammond. And I'm not, obviously, I've never served in the military, so. But he's just. It still seems to me that a colonel is less ranked than a general, and so for him to come in there and just start calling the shots seems to me like really. But you know, I don't yeah. know. No, Hammond points that out to him from time to time as well. Colonel Mayborn's still out there because he mentions the preemptive strike with this prototype weapon, the Gaold Buster. Like, yeah. boy, could you have come up with a, a lamer name? <laughs> but I, I think what really upsets me more than anything in this episode is the continued U.S.-centric thinking that, and you've mentioned this several times about different things in shows we're podcasting about that, well, 1998, you could do that. You certainly couldn't do it in 2021. But it's like that idea that we're not going to warn other countries. Right. Why? Why? How, yeah. how does that hurt anybody? Or how does that hurt our interest? Yet, that's what we're going to do. So whose idea is that? And, and, and certainly we've heard that the president is making his decisions based on being able to get reelected, which kind of strikes pretty close to home these days. That's for sure. Well, I think any day that, that does certainly, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, certainly recent events have have definitely aligned with that more than we are comfortable with. Yeah. I I, I agree that, yeah, I don't know if they intended to kind of make a kind of social political statement on, you know, the U S centric foreign policy, uh, so to speak, or in this case, you know, interstellar policy. But they they certainly do make that statement. I just I'm not sure whether they they intentionally meant for for us to read that. But but how can you not? Right? How can you watch this episode and not consider that? Right? Yeah. And and I mean, Samuels makes so many assumptions about what the enemy has or doesn't have. Who placed him in charge? I mean, we know it's Kinsey, and we know Kinsey wants to deep six the Stargate program, but something kind of came up in the interim that we've got to deal with now. Why on earth, who in their right mind would bypass General Hammond's knowledge and experience in favor of Samuels? Uh, It makes zero sense well it, they, they have definitely set up senator kinsey as someone who is in no way at all an expert on any of this stuff and should not have any kind of oversight for this but does because he's the chairman of the budgetary committee right so here is not a military person uh, a man who uh, clearly has very little understanding of the world in general this is a guy who says their national defense is that god will protect us I mean, this is a guy who clearly uh, should not have any kind of sway over what is going on at uh, in, in any aspect of the military, but specifically uh, in SG one, and and so you can, and, and thereby you know there is really a definite statement that the writers of that Brad Wright, I guess I could say, is making here in, in uh, you know like a bureaucracy, things like this happen. Well, yeah, I know they do. I just am always shocked when I, when I read about it, and and I'm guessing that Kinsey would probably be one of the uh, senators that would opt to not get the COVID vaccine, right? Because, well, right? You know, it's, I don't even know if it's real. You know, yeah. But uh, he again, he, would, he would find a lot of of compatriots in today's uh, political world in America. Yes, he would. But like we said, Samuel says, well, from space, we, we appear to be vulnerable. We're just going to sit back and wait. And then Davis explains, well, we've dis- detected a burst, which might explain why the attack hasn't started. But, of course, Hammond, 
understands, well, we don't know what that burst was. That burst might even be part of their system. It might be a normal function when they do whatever. On the other hand, Hammond thinks it could be SG-1 and sabotage. And, and of course, Samuels, well, no, that's impossible because that's not what he wants to hear. You know, right. It's, and, again, and it's, that's right. He, he's his very narrow viewpoint. It goes along with just like, well, you know, we put stealth technology so it'll get right past the radar. And Hammond's like, what if they don't have radar? You know, you <laughs> right. idiot. Exactly. You don't have any idea what they have. It's a completely alien people far advanced technologically than we are you know like you have no clue at all what you're going up against at least hammond has a semblance of a clue or at least has enough wisdom to know that what he doesn't know whereas samuels is just like oh this is gonna you know we're gonna kick ass and take names we're gonna get up there and take care of the gold and just it's a complete idiot Right. And Hammond approaches it the way he should, which is, this is our Alamo. This is likely our last stand so that he's got the alpha teams assembled in the gate room, ready to send to the alpha site, which we've certainly heard about in the past. And and it took me a few minutes to realize, oh, that's right. That's what that is, that these people didn't necessarily even know why they were selected, what their mission was going to be until now, which I thought was really cool, but also realistic. You can't let something like that get out to the general public, but these are the last of the human race should the Gaul wipe us out. And from Hammond's perspective, I'm going to hold down the fort. I'm going to likely die doing it, but by golly, I'm going to get these people to the alpha site so that the human race will be able to continue and, and, and start again. So yeah, well, when you really think about it, the human race is doing kind of okay in Stargate. Well, it is right. <laughs> like, well, yeah, they're right. all it's, over it's the place. dotted around. Sure. Right. Right. But yeah, I, I, um, I, I get what he says. And everything. You know, I just, I wonder if like, you know, after he announces what they're going to do, if like all the people to the alpha site start looking at each other, like, all right, who am I going to mate with over there? You know, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they launched the missiles with the Nakwita warheads. And interestingly, that's at the episode midpoint. And, you know, it I made me think when we talk about the structure of a short story in particular, you know, with the, you know, the rising action, the you know, the climax, the falling action, denouement, all that stuff right. that they put this, not that this is the climax, but it's it, it certainly can function as you know th- this first mini climax in a 44 minute episode and we've got a whole other half to figure out okay well that didn't work what else do we have we don't have anything except hammond knows in the back of his mind well i still have sg1 out there somewhere i don't know exactly where but i know they're out there and i know what they're capable of and and you know he starts to uh, you know, con- or, or continues to send the alpha crew into the gate. And then Samuels, well, I'm not needed or wanted. So I think I'll go with the alpha people. Uh, no, you no. won't. <laughs> Best and brightest young man, which you are neither. Yeah, that was, that was a savage burn there. That's a solid burn that uh, Hammond laid down there. And you, the news at SGC of the huge fireball in the night sky. And, and, you know, of course we know at that point that that earth is saved and, and, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. And, and of course they get to look at earth and realize they, they save it. We'll come back to the, the scene with, with Jackson, but the opening scene of the episode, you know, Jack is preparing to order an immediate detonation, which we know is going to kill them all. And yet they're just, going about their business because this is what we do we're going to save the earth and sacrifice ourselves you know along the way but then they see apophis's ship and they realize well if we take out this one can he carry out the attack oh yeah oh yeah all right so now we've got to take out two ships the jaffa break into the room and disable them with gas so uh 
who, look, yeah, it was that, seeing uh, Braytac. It was that, that crazy hand grenade that they, they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, seeing Braytac again was just awesome. That was uh, cool. But it was a weird like when he's got the, the snake head on. He just looked well, really tiny in it. You know? Yeah. And now, you recognize his voice right away, even before we see him when he goes to the holding cell and, and lets O'Neill and the other side. Uh, what was up with him punching O'Neill? Was that just a reaction that, dude, you messed up my plan? Yeah, I don't know. I, I was tr- trying to think back to you know what we saw in the previous episode, and I don't think there's a particular beef between those two. I think they just it, obviously both of them are, are used to being the ones in command, and we see some of that. I, I put in air quotes conflict between them here as well. It's really not a conflict because Jack is perfectly willing to you know follow Braytech, who you know he un- rightfully understands knows a little bit more about what needs to be done here. Right. One of the marks of a great leader is is that ability to step back when it's warranted. And, of course, that's what O'Neill does, as you you say. Uh, We often talk about O'Neill getting the best lines, and, of course, he does. But I love it when he points out, you know, we've been in worse situations not to my knowledge. Yeah, not to my knowledge. says. That was a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And – well, because you, know, you, you say kind of things like that, right? We say things like that all the time. Oh, it could be worse. Well, right, really, could right. it? <laughs> We've been in worse yeah. situations. I don't think we have, actually. And that's true. I right. mean, they've been in some tough scrapes, but nothing like this. Right. Now, Braytac's plan is interesting. He, he brings up the notion that in the Gaul culture, that the son eventually takes down the father uh, unless i misunderstood what he was saying i think that was and it, so yeah. that what and what he wants to do is pit the two of them against each other even though at this point they're not at each other and you know when you think about it it is a solid plan um eh. and well, I, I see I flaws mean, in it <laughs> well i mean unless you're going to except that maybe the two ships will fire on each other, but maybe they're smart enough not to do that. Regardless, uh, he's been ordered by Apophis to execute them, an order I intend to disregard. I'm shocked. I, I think it's, it's funny that some, like, at least Daniel looks worried when he says, I've been ordered to execute you, and they kind of you know, just show the reaction of the other characters. Like, why are you worried? Come on, obviously. It's Braytech. Come on. Right. Now, we talked last week about whether or not uh, Chlorel, a.k.a. Scar, is dead. And, and, of course, he's not. I think you even mentioned you figured he probably wasn't. He I was forgot about just mostly putting... dead. <laughs> I know. I forgot about the sarcophagus. Right. And, of course, that's that's where he is. And, and we'll talk about that with, with Daniel in a little bit. Once we find out he's not dead, Braytac just assumes that ships have uh, that the earth has ships that are formidable enough to contend with the gold ships well we have shuttles and <laughs> and of course we know what a shuttle is braytech has no idea but i i love the fact that it foreshadows the rescue at the end so that even though the shuttle you know isn't formidable in the sense that braytech was asking it it does do the job when, when called upon. So yeah, exactly. And, that, and you, you have to cool. love that, that, you know, he was looking for machines of war, but ultimately they're saved by this, you know, a, a scientific craft that has no weapons. Right now, look, obviously you're a huge star Wars fan. Uh, you know, I'm okay about it, but you got to like the death gliders, right? So yeah. uh, the, the fact that that is their means of escape um, really, you know, is a pretty cool part of this episode. We get some good fight scenes. Yeah, I, I just think this was about as perfect an episode as you can get in genre TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're really, for me, there isn't anything it lacks. It's got plenty of action. You know, I, I maybe it wasn't enough for you, but I sense it probably was enough. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a great episode. That's why, you right. know, obviously, I mean, last you know, last week when I 
I watched the last episode of season one. I was I, I was definitely going to watch the next episode because I like I got to know how this story ends. Um, and then on top of that, it was like a kick-ass episode. I'm like, man, we should we should definitely talk about this one. Yeah, yeah, oh, no question. And you know, Braytac defies Clarell, who mind melds him until SG One enters the the firefight, and, and then of course Teal holds him hostage to a to a certain extent. But Jackson gets hit badly keeps on fighting and there were several scenes where you see jackson he's got a gun in each hand and yeah. you know this is the jackson that that i always asked well where was he i mean they're down on a planet there's only four of them to begin with come on get a gun in your hand well tonight he he proves us all wrong he's hit badly keeps fighting tells jack and, and really a, a wonderful scene i'll stay and watch your back and of course jack is, is torn that whole military mindset of leave no man or woman behind. Right. But this is a situation. The stakes are so high that he has to do it. And then of course we see the, the ring transporter, which becomes a, a huge part of Stargate SG one as the series continues. They transport to Apophis's ship. And uh, you know, now we're just waiting for the C4 to explode in in six minutes and you know go there but they climb down several decks and and he wants to disable the shield and jack's like well screw that i'm just gonna throw in two hand grenade hand grenades right. now we die well that's a bad plan yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know he's the one that thinks about the glider bays uh, which is just you know they get slightly there. better than the now we die plan Right. Now, are they really going to leave Jackson behind? Yes, they are. Yeah, no choice. But he places himself in the sarcophagus. I assume it's him. I mean, who else would have put him in there regardless? Ex- right, exactly. Well, and he's I don't know in the in in the movie he I think he gets put in the sarcophagus. I don't think he does himself. I can't remember. <laughs> but I know he, this isn't his first rodeo in in the sarcophagus. He's been in there before. Right. So unless it was one of Braytac's other men, uh, there's only two of them. I don't know if they got killed in the firefight right. or not. But yeah, we assume. Uh, he, I think he dragged himself into the. Yeah. Now, the yeah. thing I noticed, which, uh, okay, look, healing you is is wonderful, but apparently it also mends damaged uniforms. Be- <laughs> right. He be- does everything. Because when he came out, his <laughs> uniform was perfect. So right, right. It was a mess when he went right, in. Right now, that's a good point. Now maybe he had a spare eye. It's a little, little continuity problem. That's all right. Right now he goes to the DHD and he and he hesitates for a second. Like, dude, you've dialed home, you know, hundreds of times. But I, I and and I'm still a little confused when he gets back and talks to Hammond about. Well, you know, I dialed the Alpha site and well, why'd you dial the Alpha site? Um, so I'm a little confused. Because so so he he can't. So like the the Sargi thinks it's on Earth, right? So he can't. Actually, they have traveled from, or have they? I don't think they've gone from one Stargate on Earth to another Stargate. Okay. In fact, they haven't. Okay. So apparently, you can't travel from one Stargate to another on the same planet, but they're close enough to Earth that it registers as being on Earth. So what he does is he punches up the uh, Alpha site which he knows the coordinates for because he got on the alternate world, he got their beta site. Ah, okay. Um, and so he goes there first and then from there he travels back to earth. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And it's not crushed against the iris. Okay. Uh, now we get that emotional scene and, and we've seen this kind of a scene in Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, probably even Star Trek where they're, they're in their shuttles but we know they have nowhere to go. So yes, we got off the ship that was going to explode, but now what? And that acknowledgement that this is it. They're all calm. Teal'c says we die free or no, I'm sorry. It's either Teal'c or Braytac or not. Jack says, Teal'c says we die well. Okay. And and Braytac says we die free. And then Jack, and then Jack's like, yeah. "Yeah, or not." 
option C. Yeah. Endeavor yeah. comes into view and it's like, yes, this is cool. And, you know, when Jackson exits into the gate room, you know, he gets out with just seconds left. He assumes the rest of the team died in the explosion. And we also assume that's what General Hammond thinks, at least at first. We, again, how much time elapses from when Daniel comes through the gate into Stargate Command and, you know, Endeavor picks up the crew, or, you know, but regardless, um, it's, it's a pretty intense scene. You know, I, I think Daniel has probably earned Jack's respect. Well, he calls him a space monkey. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah I, I, mean, I was going to say that's a clearly <laughs> right. So, I guess we have to ask, and maybe it'll come up in the next episode. What about Sharae? I mean, obviously, Scara was here, which also begs the question: Why does Apophis choose Scara as a host for his son? I mean, we don't really get any conclusion right. there. Um, I think at yeah. one point he says this this host is weak. That's why I chose it or whatever. But, you know, I, I think what we know of Scara, he, he's certainly not weak, e- either physically well, yeah, or Yeah, uh, there's the scene that we feel like Scara – I mean, we saw uh, last episode that Scara at, at some points was able to kind of you know, grab hold of the con. It's the one scene where the missile is heading for his ship and – Chlorel is not able or finds it difficult to put the shields up. And we can see, he says that this, he tells Apophis, the host is strong. So, you know, that Scar is fighting back. Yeah. So now I, I look, we've got to assume at this point that Apophis and Scar are dead. Or well, do Right. We- but you know what, what happens when you assume. I Dave. know. I know. <laughs> Because yeah, they they get so that I was I was thinking about that a lot, and I actually went back to watch the explosion scene because whenever there's an explosion scene, you always get the the last view of the baddie who just realizes that now he's about to die, right? And they look up from the instrument panel and they have this horrified look, and then the ship blows up. So we know the baddie died in there, but we don't get that. They the rings come down, they get into. We assume. They're going to the other ship, right? Sure. Uh, in which case, they clearly would have died, but we don't see, we don't get confirmation. So I think what the uh, what what they did here is left that door open so that you know Scara or Chlorel and Apophis survive, and somehow they didn't go to the other ship; they traveled somewhere okay else. but through the gate a, so they a, got to the gate in time to dial in a destination i, I mean i get i know what you're saying i don't know um uh, the only thing I, it's just i think if if they had meant for them to die that they would have shown us given us that that little scene okay but i think they just wanted to leave like so they could go either way if they want to have them dead they could just be dead and just say all right you know apophis and chlorel died in the explosion but also if they decide they want for a story arc they want to bring him back they have that option as well yeah i mean if apophis is in fact dead as is scar we have to then ask well who is the next big bad in stargate sg1 because shows they run a risk when they carry the same villain for too long i think it, right. it, it just we lose interest. We, you know, we've. Well, we don't want. We ultimately we want the good guys to win, the good the good people, the goodies, right. right? And we want the baddies to lose. So if if the baddie keeps escaping and getting the best, and like it, it just gets frustrating, and, and it makes our heroes look bad. It's like you had twenty two right. episodes to kill them. Oh, what's your problem? You're competent everywhere else but uh so that's why i feel like apophis and scara are dead but we shall see uh, you know for those of us that are going to continue watching on a you know somewhat limited basis and whether we return to do some more stargate sg1 podcasts uh, you know we we might who knows yeah i, I know f- well and, and also what what ties into that and we talked about sheree and i can't remember 
which ep- it was one of the m- more recent ones, or is it the next one? Yeah. Oh dear, oh. I can't remember. But Daniel says something like about he talks about his wife in the past tense, like she's already dead. I, f- I feel like that was one we've already watched, but it might be because they did watch season two, episode two. Yeah, it might be that one. But anyway, it's just, it's the same thing. Like you know, I mean, we said that last episode. Why haven't we seen why why is Scar here but not Sharae? Right. Yeah. Sure. So. And so is is she just you're just done? Like we're just not even know where fate was, or is she still out there someplace? I don't know. Right. And we know she's a host, so there there's right. She's still important in that regard. But sure. You know, I mentioned Jackson exiting into the gate room and and assuming the rest of the team died in the explosion. In in our final scene, we're back stargate command the team enters to applause which was again just a really great scene i forgot braytac and hammond had never actually met before so that was kind of cool seeing the two of them right you are hammond of texas <laughs> it's again just just <laughs> a great a great scene yep. and hammond tells them there's somebody who wants to see you and then jackson em- emerges and Jack O'Neill is not a hugger, but how can he help himself? He can't. And and again, sure. it's a wonderful scene. As you mentioned, he calls him space monkey. And, and there's not anything more that he could have said that would show his affection and respect for Dr. Daniel Jackson at this point. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something that, I mean, this, this, this relationship has built even back in the movie, right? Like it started all the way back then that there is a definitely a special relationship between uh, Jack and Daniel and that sometimes Jack doesn't always show it or he, you know, puts on the facade of being annoyed with Daniel's nerdiness or whatever. Um, and similarly with Daniel, you know, being annoyed with Jack's, you know, macho attitude and everything. Um, but yeah, that all breaks down and they're just, cause he's just, they're both so happy to see each other alive. Yeah. My final question, you know, now that we're at this point in the story, will Hammond pursue retirement now that Stargate command is likely to get reinstated? I mean, I can't imagine any universe where, uh, the agency that saved the earth is still going to get the plug pulled on right. it. Well, especially since Hammond is once again communicating directly with the president by the end of this episode. So that shows clearly that uh, the the president is now back to listening to Hammond um, and, and not so much to Senator Kinsey. Right. But will Hammond pursue retirement if he has somebody that he can turn the keys over to that he trusts? to you know continue his work with stargate command because he did want to retire and is this like the perfect time to do it or does he feel like you know this was a close call i need to stay in the captain's chair just a bit longer yeah i I would tend to think the uh the the second one there okay all right anything else you want to talk about we haven't talked um well since you mentioned the captain's chair um, well, first of all, I forgot to mention at the beginning that I did finally watch Star Trek uh, Beyond as well. So I have completed my rewatch of all the Star Trek movies. Nice. So yeah, that was good. I, that was a lot of fun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Th- it won't be the last time I do that. I guarantee it. So, uh, but with that, um, so you know, when the missile is headed for Chlorel's ship, and their shields aren't up. Yeah. Right? And he has to struggle against Skara to get the shields up. And I'm like, well, why weren't your shields up? You you're coming to Earth in a, you know, in, in a in a warlike manner. You've come to 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 do battle. Why aren't your shields up? Which is the same question I asked in almost every single Star Trek movie. Like in almost every single movie, they're approaching a ship that we know is bad news, 
they should assume it's bad news, but they have their shields down. And then all of a sudden the ship fires on them. They take all kinds of damage to the Enterprise. And they're like, shields up. Shields are at 13%. Yeah, because you can't have your freaking shields up in the first place, man. So um, I just, you know, I, I don't know. That's just something I've, I've, I just noticed really this first time is that there's a ridiculous number of times in Star Trek where their shields are down when they should not be and Chlorel almost makes the same fatal error here as well. Well, with my extensive physics background and... Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it certainly, to me... This seems, is astrophysics too, uh, right? Yes, exactly. That it comes back to the power needed to you know generate these shields at you know a hundred percent or whatever you need them at and that we don't want to exert that power because you know we don't want to expend the fuel and the energy necessary to do that unless you figure well, okay they're probably running that ship on nuclear energy which it probably never gets low so we don't have some you know, Scotsman down in the engine room yelling, I cannot give you more power, Captain. Right. But 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 the, it's it's like the first thing that goes is like the warp drive always, well, right? True. Like shields are down. Shields are at 13%. All right, get us out of here. Well, why ah, you, the warp drive's down. Well, why what? wouldn't you have the shields like, on all the time then? Well, you don't need them on all the time. You just need them when you're approaching someone or something that could be a threat. Okay. Okay. That should be, that seems like that's rule one in okay. Starfleet. I don't right. know. No, I got you. All right, what else? <laughs> is um, putting a big pyramid in the middle of your spaceship, is that really effective design? From an aerodynamic standpoint, I would say probably not. Seem, well, I mean, if you're in space, you don't have to worry about aerodynamics. <laughs> well, true. That's a good point. Seems like just really crappy design. And should you... I mean, they do take these down the planets, right? Well, certainly that's got to really put a lot of wind drag on your craft. And it seems like, I don't know. Unless it, it, t- unless it like detaches it's... from the main ship. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> there was a moment there when the, the missiles were launching and about to hit the uh, the gold ships that I, I thought someone was going to ask Samuels if he wanted to go get a room to himself because he looked like he was having a little bit of... Of, of issues yeah, with no his kidding. excitability there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I love the when when he uh, his comeuppance and they show him and he's just kind of sitting there and his his tie is loosened and his his you know shirt is ruffled and he's, he's far from the swaggering d bag that uh, was was in the. Um, the, the the rest of the episode. So even though we, as as Fred will say, we don't get to see you know Senator Kinsey's comeuppance. At least uh, Samuels will will do for now. Yeah, no kidding. No, and and whether we see Kinsey again, I, I suspect if we do, it won't be for a while. He won't want to show his face around there. I'm I'm certain of that. I think that that might be it. Okay. All right, well, why don't we check in with Fred, and we'll come right yeah, back. Yeah, let's do. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with big, big congratulations for the 400th episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, although I know there are more episodes on your website, namely 451. But let's talk about Stargate SD-1 Season 2 Episode 1, I think it was a very wise decision to take this episode along with your review of the first season of Stargate SG-1. The season finale really was just half an episode and not a regular cliffhanger. And as I said in the previous podcast, I have to admit that I quite quickly watched indeed the next episode and even watched further, I'm now at Season 2, Episode 4. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but the next episode, so Season 2, Episode 2 and 3, are just, as most episodes in Season 1, just stories of the week. Seeing Tony Amadola as Master Braytag back was great, of course. I really wonder if he will come back in the series more often. 
Samuels took the place of the annoying Senator Kinsley and I was quite disappointed that the Senator was not in this episode so that the team and Hammond could really tell him the truth. Because that was not in the previous episode, so the season finale of season one, I fully had expected to see that then here in the premiere of season two. A bit disappointing. I really would have liked to see his face. But as a compensation, we got that from Samuels. Well, sir, since I am no longer wanted or needed here, I respectfully request permission to join one of the teams headed for the Alpha site, at least... Permission denied. The idea is to send the best and brightest, Colonel. Great was, of course, when Master Braytek asked that Earth would have big spaceships. Yeah, yeah, we have shuttles. And it turned the other way around when Jack O'Neill was asking Braytek how many men he had. Yeah, I have three loyal Jaffa and, and with Tialk we have four. Oh, okay, then it's okay. The Gaul gliders reminded me of many other space gliders in several science fiction series, especially the ones in Battlestar Galactica. I really wonder what happened to the gliders. Did they confiscate them? Did they bring them to Earth? Or did the shuttle bring the SG-1 team to Earth? So what happened to these Gaul gliders? Will they come back at some point? It was a brilliant idea that Daniel got into the sarcophagus to be healed. I had not seen that coming, but uh, on hindsight, it was a very logical step, actually. Okay, that was all for Stargate SG-1. Once again, thanks for this ride. And again, big shout out to you for your 400th episode. I will have to give feedback for another 70 episodes to reach the point that I'm in more than half of your podcasts. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, uh, you know, I mentioned thanking Fred for his congratulations on the 400th at the beginning. Uh, Fred mentions Tony Amendola, and, and, you know, he's in so many genre shows, not the least of which is Once Upon a Time, Continuum, of course. Yeah, that show Continuum, I believe he was in. Yeah. Who's more despicable, Kinsey, Mayborn, or Samuels? That would be a tough one. That would be a good poll to have. Mm, Yeah, you'd have to poll that. Um, I'm not sure who I would. I would probably pick Kinsey, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I would too. But in this, like, we really get to see Samuels' smarmy face, so he kind of would maybe. But I I would probably vote for Kinsey because he's the guy who's putting – Samuels in this right, position, sure. right? I mean, like I said in the beginning, in a way, Samuels is going to take the fall right. for this. And um, yeah. do you recall if Fred has mentioned whether or not he's a Star Wars fan? Because you know he mentions the gold gliders reminding him of Battlestar Galactica, and I assume he means the Vipers in in BSG. I guess I looked at them more like we'd see in in an escape pod, you know, some sort of, you know, tiny vessel that, that really has no defensive or offensive capabilities. It's just meant to get the hell out of Dodge. And then you roll the dice. No, cause these things are, are, are meant, they're like warships, right? They just don't work so well. In the, space, oh, you're I right. Think. The death gliders. Right. Okay. So they must yeah. have, I guess they just were so small. Once yeah. we saw them. Right, right, exactly. And but I have to kind of go with uh, with Fred on this one. That to me, they they definitely were reminiscent of Battlestar. Okay. But he does raise a good question about the glider's fate. We assume that Endeavor. Well, I, again, I go back to what you say. Well, you know what happens when you assume? Uh, did Endeavor right. dock with the two gliders and then bring them back to Earth so that the Earth scientists could? reverse engineer them which would certainly be the wise thing to do or did they just get the people on board and and jettison the gliders we don't know maybe we'll find out but that that is certainly a good question well that's also something actually that i wondered is how on earth did they get them from the gliders to well, the they probably have some kind of airlock that they because, can, you know like how do you get yeah i mean yeah. really <laughs> 
I mean, I get it. they just skipped over that detail, but who? Because who, right. really, who cares? Yeah. Right? We just want to see him um, walk through the. Who cares? Walk that, through the egg. Right. So. <laughs> but there's no way. There's nothing on the space shuttle that would dock with the the gliders. Um, but and and if well. Well, you haven't seen The Expanse, right? I have. No, I'm actually two seasons behind, believe it or not. But yeah, as we see, you know, you you can, and as Dulles Adams has also informed us, that you can live for a brief amount of time. You can hold your breath in space. So they might have just said, all right, take a really deep breath, open up the the, the cockpit and jump. So, um, <laughs> That's now, fine, though, again, I, I certainly didn't anticipate Daniel getting into the sarcophagus and getting healed of course we knew he was going to survive we just didn't know how it was going to turn out but that was certainly pretty cool um anything else about fred's feedback you want to mention um okay no okay fred thank you and again here's to 400 more yeah that'll yeah you never know i was thinking (laughs) about that well you figure 100 it's over two years so yeah, uh, or or thereabouts. But anyway, all right. Um, I'm going with a full on A for this one. I just thought it was as yeah, like that's a yeah, solid A, perfect in episode. Not an A plus, mind you. Again, we, uh, I always say that the A pluses are reserved for you know international assassin and and others of its ilk. But this was, a, I think, a solid A. I, I love yeah, this episode. Yeah, me as well. So. All right, well, we will leave it there, and that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about our, ver- or our excursion with Stargate, anything else going on in your genre TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't. If you're already uh, a member, you can bring people into the group as well. Our email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about the series premiere of the HBO Max series, The Foreigners. But until then, you know, I suppose this is the time for me to say something profound. Uh, nothing comes to mind. <laughs>